0: Turn to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3, stepping out in faith, amen? You know, sometimes we're tempted to read the Old Testament and we kind of read it almost like it's, you know, some ancient history book that's about a group of people that existed, you know, 35 centuries ago. But really when you look at the lessons that are contained here in the book of Joshua, I don't know that they've ever been more practical than they are tonight. Because one of the things that we in our modern world need some help doing is stepping out in faith. And so we just left chapter two as we've journeyed through the first two chapters. We saw the faith of Rahab. And so here's a woman who, by all accounts, shouldn't end up in the lineage of Jesus, but because of her faith, that's where she lands. A woman whose repute was less than desirable But in the eyes of the Lord, God can use absolutely anyone who will turn to him in faith and put their faith, hope, and trust in him. Now we turn to corporate faith. We we turn to the faith of the children of Israel. And one of the things that's so beautiful in chapter three is this picture of a group of people who receive instruction from the Lord, who are willing to do what God has asked them to do. And tonight, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to join others in doing what God has asked you to do? You see, there's an individual part to your faith, absolutely essential. But God has made you part of a body. Very specifically, for most of us, this body. The body of Christ, called Calvary Chapel South Bay, and to a greater extent, the body of Christ in general, Are you willing to do what God has asked you to do for the body of Christ? Are you willing to take up your position in the ranks of the king's army? Verse one here in Joshua three, and then Joshua rose early in the morning. And they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all of the children of Israel and they lodged there before they crossed over, now I want to stop here for just a second. Where have the children of Israel been for the last forty years? They were in the wilderness, right? Did they have any swimming pools? Did they have any lakes? Did they have any rivers? Did they have any streams? They probably didn't have any ponds. They they were not used to seeing water of any kind. Other than when they got to the place called Mara, there was a pool. That water was bitter. God had, in essence, spared their lives by watering them with the dew every morning. There wasn't a swimming Jew alive, okay? There were no Jewish people, they weren't known as that, but there were no Israelites that were on the Olympic team for swimming. They've now come to the River Jordan. The River Jordan is at flood stage. If you travel to Israel with us, one of the things that you'll find, because we normally go later in the year when the river has subsided, when it's at flood stage, it can be close to a mile wide in the lower parts of the Jordan River Valley. It won't be very deep, but remember, these people have been wandering in the desert A trickle is a torrent to them. They are going to need immense amounts of faith. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, now remember just for a moment what the Ark of the Covenant represented to them. It was the visible presence of the Lord himself. Where the ark went, the Lord was. book of Numbers tells us that he dwelled between the cherubim. And though he literally had a pillar of fire and a cloud that hovered over that point, he of course was always omniscient and omnipotent. He was all-powerful, omnipresent. He was everywhere. He knew everything. But to the Jewish people, they had learned to look wherever that pillar was, wherever the ark was, wherever the cloud was, the presence of the Lord was. So the picture here is the Lord is on the move. The Lord's up to something. He's moving out. And the priests and the Levites bearing it. And then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Church, the first lesson here when the Lord moves, it's time for you to move. When God speaks, when God puts upon your heart that He is moving, and when you see Him, you are to move. To not move can be very costly in your life, but to move can bring immense blessing. It takes faith to step out and follow the Lord. The ark is about to cross the river. These are all non-swimmers. The river's at flood stage. And yet, there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, so 3,000 feet, a half a mile or so. The ark is going to go. Now, it's interesting. So a half a mile is the middle of the river. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When God speaks, when he says something, he's inquiring of how we're going to respond in faith. The ark is going to move. God's presence is going to move. He's asked them, when you see it, follow after it follow me. Jesus said the same thing, follow me. God is asking us to follow him. I think part of the problem that we have is we are so in tune to information in our day and time, in our world, that we look for things that God is not even likely to give us. We want minutia, and God is actually saying, Jeff, will you just follow me? Will you step out in faith? Will you do what I've asked? I'm not going to tell you all the steps. Notice what it says. very clear that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed by this way before. Very clear that this is a step of faith. In other words, you haven't got a clue. There's no GPS. Your phone's not on. You haven't ever been there. Nobody's led you there before. I want you to go someplace new. Someplace you don't know yet. Church. I think many Christians get stuck in comfort. They get stuck in complacency. And they thereby get stuck in unfruitfulness because The Lord has spoken. He wants them to move, but they will not go because they're looking for more information. They want God to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and what God is saying is, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the journey. I'm going to tell you where the first step is. I want you to just trust me with this. If you study this book, you're going to find that it applies to your life. It's not just the history of Israel. You're pictured in this story. Because not only is there a corporate aspect, there was a personal aspect, because every single person had to choose this day whom they would serve. Every single Israelite had to make the same exact choice. Will you go? It was corporate in would they go, but it was also individual in would you go? And that is the story of the history of the church. It is us one at a time saying yes to Jesus and doing what he asked, but it is also the story of us collectively accomplishing the things that God has for the church. I wonder how many things get missed because there are people who refuse to take their first step or they will not follow where God is leading In essence, God doesn't qualify what he's saying. He just simply says, let's go. Let me just share with you that unbelief says let's go back where it's safe. Unbelief always plays it safe. Unbelief rests in yesterday's laurels. Unbelief takes the route of least resistance. Unbelief always takes the easy path. Unbelief looks for comfort. Unbelief rarely looks for anything that's new. So when God challenges us, very often it is against our comfort. It is against our safety. It is against our norm. It's against the things that we've established as the way we would like it to go, like it to be. Faith on the opposite hand says if God's there, if God's working, if God is moving, then wherever He is and whatever He's doing, that's where I want to be. That's faith. I regret often in my own life those times when it's like, I knew the Lord was moving, I knew the Lord was talking, I knew the Lord wanted me engaged, but I watched what he was doing and I stayed where it was safe. I believe that the true church should be filled with holy risk takers. People who, as Paul said, count not their own life dear. Dear who have already resigned that they were once dead in their trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive and he made us alive for a purpose. Are you one of those holy risk takers tonight? Or are you playing it safe? You see, if you want to play it safe, God will let you do that. But you will miss the blessings that God has when you respond to let's go. God hasn't changed. Faith responds to the command of let's go. Faith, in essence, can't stand to be stagnant. Unbelief loves to be stagnant. Matter of fact, unbelief likes to go backwards. The children of Israel actually did that previously, didn't they? Forty years earlier, they had come to Kadesh Barnea. They're standing on the edge of the wilderness. They're looking into the promised land. They see it is only Joshua and Caleb who come back and say, let's go. And now they've come again. And they're still saying, let's go. Church, let's be a church that says yes when God says, let's go. Anybody can do the safe things. People of faith can go when we don't know it's safe. When there's risk, we don't want to be like the ten of the twelve that came back and said, "No, we can't do that." There's issues. There's problems. There's giants. It's like we we can't win this war. Church, God, and us are always a majority. That's always a recipe for victory. The question is, will you go when God says, let's go? Notice the voice of faith. Here in the next seven verses or so, your faith, my faith, our faith, there are three different ways it's expressed here. But first we see the the word, the word of faith. That promise of Romans 10, 17 is so important to keep in view here because when you hear the word of the Lord, it's incumbent upon you to respond to the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord is always true. It's never not going to be true. The question is, what are you going to do with the word? When you hear the word and respond to the word, you're responding with a voice of faith. You're saying, God, I believe. God, I trust. God, I will go. You're the Isaiah, here am I, send me, Lord. I know I'm not the best qualified. I know I'm not the most articulate, but here am I, send me. I'll go. If no one else will, I will. I want you to notice something. Joshua is not pictured here standing by the edge of the river Jordan with floaties, swim vests. He doesn't have a bunch of lifeguards. He's not giving swimming lessons. There are no boats. They're not building a pontoon bridge. All he's offering is the promised land's over there. There's a river right here And our great God is going to meet us in the middle. What do you do when God does that with you? When you're standing on the edge of something that seems like it cannot be crossed. And God speaks a word of faith to you and says, Jeff, let's go. How are you going to respond? Because the truth is, I can't respond for you. You can't respond for me, we cannot respond for each other, but we can respond with each other. What will you do when the voice of faith calls? This isn't you speaking into existence something, this is you acknowledging that God is who he says he is, and if he says that we should go, we should go. And well said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of circumstance or consequence. It's like, Lord, if you're in it, I'm going. Lord, if you're asking, I'm in. As the officers give this message to the people, Look, the ark's going to move. The presence is going to go. Joshua got up early. The day's half over. As they had, in essence, you can kind of see a picture of someone rising up to meet with the Lord. Joshua had a devotional life. God was speaking to him in the morning. He had the orders before noon. He said, let's go. But that voice then got Given to the people that were around him. You see, you will not help anyone else walk in faith unless you are walking in faith because other people are watching you to see how you respond. Joshua was up early with the Lord. He heard early from the Lord. He got the word of the Lord in the morning. And when he got the word of the Lord, he passed the word of the Lord along to everybody else. That's the picture. Church, are you that kind of believer? You get up early to meet with the Lord, and I'm not saying everybody has to do their devotions exactly the same way. Quite honestly, I've met people who do their devotions before they go to bed, do their devotions at lunch, do their devotions in the morning, but the picture is this. You need to take time to meet with the Lord. Because you're not gonna hear his voice if you're not listening for it. You know, sometimes we pastors get accused of working, you know, three hours on Thursday and, you know, eight on Sunday or something. No, it's a constant meeting with the Lord. Ministry is going on all day. While I'm awake, ministry is happening. I was joking with Pastor Chet before we came out. We have... A number of people who are out sick right now, we're kind of scrambling, taking each other's counseling appointments and everything else. It's just like, it's a never, ministry is never ending. It's not, it's not, it doesn't end for pastors. It doesn't end for you because your children don't stop watching you simply because it's not ministry time. Your spouse isn't going to stop relying on you walking with the Lord in the Spirit just because it's not ministry time. You're not going to go to work and it's like, well, today's my flesh day. You know, we have like, a, you're dieting. Anybody do that for New Year's? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We all need it. But every, seems like every diet has the cheat day, right? You ever notice what happens on your cheat day? like you almost kind of sort a of diet on the regular days. It's like you push it to the, it's like you're supposed to be eating five kale sandwiches, you eat seven. You know what I'm saying. You're like chowing down on it because there is nothing in that stuff. And so you're not, you're kind of overstretching. But when you get to that cheat day, it's like four ribeyes and six pack of Twinkies. You see, when you want something really bad, you're willing to do anything and everything to get to that day to get it. Every day should be like that with the Lord. You you should want to have everything that the Lord has for you every day. Not just once in a while, not just on a church day. Every day. Joshua moves the camp about 10 miles from the Acacia Grove, which is up in modern day Jordan. It's actually on the road that the Nabataeans would use to travel back and forth between the Jordan River Valley and the city, rock city of Petra. Probably took a day's journey to move that many people. There's probably a million people, maybe more. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're moving to the river. And the ark is before them. You're going to see that word used 16 times. It's important. Why? Because in the ark were three things. The law of God was in there. The promises of God were in there in that sense. There was a pot of manna in there. The provision of God was in there. Okay? The promises of God, the provision of the God of God. Aaron's rod that budded was in there. The power of God was in there. So as the Lord moved and the people followed, when God said, "Let's go," what He's saying is, "Let's go. My provision is with you." My power is with you, my word is with you, and thereby my promises are with you. The promises of God, the provision of God, and the power of God are always where God is. You cannot have those things without following God. If you're unwilling to step out in faith, you are going to lack the promises of God. You're going to lack the power of God. You're going to lack the provision of God. In that sense, he's saying there's a benefit to stepping out in faith. And so the people are hearing this message, and there's the ark. They've been lugging that thing around in the wilderness now for 40 years. And everywhere that ark went, the people were safe. Everywhere that ark went, God provided. Everywhere that ark went, God spoke. And everywhere that ark went, they witnessed the power of the living God. Was God going to fail them now? The book of Hebrews says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So the same God that guided them through the wilderness, the same God that opened the Red Sea, the same God that turned the bitter waters sweet, the same God that fed them and clothed them and took care of them in the wilderness was the God that was now saying, I want you to go possess my promises. If you do not have faith, you will not possess the promises of God. It is an essential, it's a necessity for us to have faith if we want the promises of God. Because they don't come wrapped in like a a package where you can open it up and it's like put part A into part C and all of a sudden it makes the promises of God. It actually... The book of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen. Amen? It has substance. It has evidence. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. And so when we step out and we chase the promises of God, we're chasing them in faith. It's like, Lord, I know you said this. I'm going to do it. So notice what he says to them in verse 5. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That word sanctify there means to cleanse. It's a picture of the removal of sin. Matter of fact, when you travel through Israel, one of the chief ways that one would know that any settlement, if you're doing archeology span in the Holy Lands, if you find a ritual bath, a mikveh, when you find that bath that is a Jewish settlement why because that represented the removal of sin that's how they cleansed themselves from coming in contact with things that defiled them synagogue synagogue and the cleansing went together and so god says sanctify yourself cleanse yourself wash yourself Bible is replete with this promise over and over and over again. They were used to this. They understood what it meant. It's like we need to get right with the Lord. You cannot have the promises of God. You will not follow the Lord in faith if you are unwilling to cleanse yourself. If you will not repent of sin, if you won't turn from your wickedness, you can't drag the garbage of this world along with your your mind heading towards the things of the Lord and expect God to bless it. He's asking us to do some cleansing. He's saying, I need you to clean yourself up. You can't follow me that way. And while it is absolutely true that some of God's promises are unconditional, like the land that they're about to possess, God made an unconditional promise. He said, this is the land I am giving you, period. Period. But how would they possess it? They would possess it in faith. And that faith required that they trust God. And God's telling them, look, you've got to follow me and you need to clean up your act. Water was a luxury back then. And they were wandering in the desert. It wasn't like anybody was wandering around with a a bathtub or a stand-up rain shower or any of those kind of things. So when God told you to get cleaned up, it was because it was really important. They didn't do what we do. I, I met this guy about a year ago, and he came into my office, and he was, he was kind of mad at me because someone had tried to shake his hand coming into the sanctuary, and he, he had a little bit of a kind of germaphobic thing going on, and that's, it's okay if that's you. Praise the Lord. I think we're all a little bit that way. But this was, he, he proceeded to tell me he took three showers a day. And I said, so you're the cause of the drought. <laughs> and, you know, he started laughing. And I said, I said, three showers a day? What do you, well, you know, there's, and he, he began to tell me about all the bacteria and everything else that was in our atmosphere. And it's just like, it's like, yeah, and? The children of Israel didn't have the ability to take three showers a day. But what they did have to do was to get clean if they wanted to be right with God. You have to repent. You have to ask for forgiveness if you want God's blessing. If you're going to follow God, it's a requirement. It's a condition. You will not have the blessings of God when you're walking in disobedience to God. He may be providentially good. He might give you some blessings, but you will not have the blessings He wants for you unless you're willing to let go of the garbage. They're conditioned on you being obedient. And that was very true for what the Jewish people were about to do. And we're going to see it, especially in these first five or six chapters. When they obeyed the Lord, they were absolutely unconquerable. But when they disobeyed the Lord, they got what they could earn with their own flesh. And it wasn't good. Truth is, we're going to be held to a higher standard. Notice the message that is given to the priests here. And then Joshua spoke to the priests. So this is the church leadership. These are the priests. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross before the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The church can't go where the pastor hasn't been. One of the things that bothers me so much with our world right now is you have pastors that have dumbed down God's word. They themselves are wandering in the abyss of sin. Their lives are a desperate wasteland of things that ought not be in anybody's life, especially the life of a pastor. And they wonder why where they're leading the people is someplace God doesn't want them to go. The first message is to the leadership of the church. You guys need to lead. You need to go first. You need to take the first steps of faith because nobody's going out there if the most spiritual people that are supposed to be on this journey won't take the first step. That's the kind of leadership we want in this church and should be in every church. Leadership that's willing to take the first step. Willing to put their sandal in the water. Willing to say, Lord, if you say to go, we're going. Willing to do what is necessary. We are held to the higher standard as leaders. Notice there's also a message to the, from the Lord to Joshua. And then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to extol you in the sight of all Israel. This is where Joshua actually gets an upgrade in his leadership capabilities. To extol means to lift up. It means to put in a high place. Which in the case of this particular passage, it means to set him up so others can see. It's like, Joshua, I'm going to make you an example. The reason when you see most statuary, it is almost always resting on what's called a plinth. A plinth is nothing more than a block. Very often, it's a block of marble. But the reason being, if it's a life-size statue and you put it down at life-size level, then most people really can't see it. Especially if you travel to Washington, D.C. and see most of the monuments there, you're going to see very, very large plinth blocks. Why? There's the statue. You can see the whole thing. That's what God's doing to Joshua. He says, Joshua, I'm going to put you up there where people can see you. But I want you to do what I tell you to do. And I want you to go where I tell you to go. One of the problems with church-governed churches, in other words, the people tell the pastor what to do, is that not everybody gets the same message. And so the leadership is convoluted. It's like this group thinks this and that group thinks that. There comes a point in time when somebody needs to step up and say, thus says the Lord. And so God's saying that. He's saying, look, I have called Joshua to lead you across this river. Follow him. There he is. Notice how he does that that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. This is so important to understanding the leadership of the church. This church is not my church. This church is God's church. It is God's job to keep God's man God's leader in the forefront of God's church so that God's church is doing what God wants. And when a man gets in the way, when leadership becomes about a person, when there is a celebrity that is viewed as such, the glory of the Lord is going to depart that ministry. Because this is God's. The children of Israel were God's people and God was leading them. And what he's saying to them is, Joshua, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. But I want you to do what Moses did. What did Moses do? Well, Moses wasn't perfect, we know that. But Moses followed God. And when God said something to Moses, in a general sense, that was sufficient. He did it. Consequently, the people also followed him in doing it. You should command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now bear in mind that they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant could not be Touched. It was gilded with gold, it had staves that passed through rings on the sides of it. No one could touch it, and not one of them could swim. God's saying, I want you to take the first step of faith. I want you to put your feet in the water. I want you to stand there. I want you to show everyone that I am for you, and thereby no one can be against you. You don't know how to swim? And if anything starts to go wrong, you can't see your feet. This is muddy flood water, okay? They're not walking across on a concrete pathway that's just underneath the surface. They're walking on a rocky riverbed that was previously a field. And God is saying, I want you to go put your feet in the water. I want you to get wet. Because the people need to see that I am the God who is behind this. Because if you won't do it, they won't do it either. Both Moses and Joshua received their authority from the Lord. And that authority would be passed on to the people by how they lived their lives. It's one of the most tragic things that can happen to anyone who's in leadership And that is when you become a hypocrite, you say, thus says the Lord, but you will not do what the Lord has said. A great leader is a leader who says, thus says the Lord, and let me go first. Let me live that way. When we lead people, and whether that's you leading in your home, or me as a pastor leading a congregation, or anyone else that's in leadership in the church, we should be the first ones to put our feet in the water. Because your kids won't follow Jesus unless you get your feet wet. Your spouse may not come to Christ at all unless you are willing to get your feet wet. The church won't go where the pastor goes unless the pastor goes first. Matter of fact, I wouldn't expect you to follow a pastor, any pastor, not and me included, if I tell you to do something or tell you that something is best for you, but I do not do that myself. We're held to a higher standard. You have to have authority. You have to have stature. The truth is this whole story is about God. It's not about me. It wasn't about Joshua. Verse nine, and so Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Notice what he says. Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Did he say, come here, I've got a message for you. I just concocted myself been thinking about this. No, he says, hear the word of the Lord. One of the reasons that we have attention to detail in the word of the Lord in this church is we believe that the word of the Lord changes lives to this day. That it is God's word, in fact, that is true. Sometimes my interpretation of it may be a little off, but his word will never return void. It will always go in purpose, what it wills to do. Hear the word of the Lord. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you. That he without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Every ite in the land was about to be an used-to-be ite. The promised land was inhabited. That is who they saw when they got there 40 years earlier. Matter of fact, the sons of Anak were in the land. Giants were still in the land. And God's saying, look, I'm leading you. I've told you, you go, you leave your enemies to me. I'll take care of them. By this, you'll know that the living God is among you. Church, Have you ever thought about this in the context of your own personal testimony? By this, people will know that the living God is in you because your Jebusite was alcoholism. Your Jebusite was a relationship you shouldn't be in. Your your Gergeshite was materialism, anger, bitterness, The people of this world are watching you to see if you'll put your feet in the water and to see where you're going to go because the enemies you face, God will deal with. But you have to let him deal with them. Notice he didn't ask Joshua or the children of Israel, I want you to go over there and and this is all on you. He says, no, they're going to know that it's me because I'm going to take care of them. And we certainly see that when we get to the first city, the city of Jericho. Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord. What was in there? The promises of God, the provision of God, the power of God, the law itself, the tablets of the law, the pot of manna, the rod of Aaron, the promises, provision, and power. All of the earth is crossing before you into the Jordan. He says, look, I'm going to lead you over there. My power, it's me. My promises are going before you. My provision is going to make a way for this. All I'm asking you to do is do it. Go. Don't question me. Step out in faith. And now, therefore, take yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark, that the Lord of all of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. And the waters that come down from upstream, for the northern reaches of the Jordan Valley, towards Mount Hermon. And they shall stand as a heap. I don't know about you. But God's done this one before. This is really the exact same thing that he did when they crossed over the Red Sea. So in that sense, he's not even asking them to trust him all that much. Because they already had seen him do this very thing. Isn't it weird how Christians can come to the conclusion, well, God can do it for you, but he can't do it for me. God can deliver you, but he can't deliver me. God can save your marriage, but he can't save mine. God can pull you out of the miry clay, but I'm stuck in it. God is faithful to remind us it is always, always, always his promises his provision, his power, and they are always available when you will step out in faith. Always. The results, God may distribute as he sees fit, but he is never short on promises. He is never short on power. He is never short on provision. That means it wasn't about Joshua. It was about God. It wasn't about a magnificent plan. It was about God. It wasn't about a bridge. It was about God. It wasn't about what sandals. They weren't wearing floaty sandals. It was about God. It wasn't wasn't about who was the best swimmer. There weren't any. It was about God. This whole thing is a picture of God saying, look, this is who I am. I am the living God I am the Lord of all the earth I am I am I am I am he had already told them back in the book of Exodus you are my special treasure you're a special people to me I will go before you well you know I don't know Church, we all, I need more faith. The 97th Psalm says the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord of all of the earth. He's the Lord of your earth as well. He's the Lord of your life as well. He's the Lord of this church as well. This is about who he is, not about who I am. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. The people had their part, but their part was pretty small. People had their part, but the part was pretty small. What's God now said he's going to do? He said, first I'm going to give you leaders, a very small group, 12 men, plus those carrying the ark. So let's just say you had maybe 20 people total. We know that it is to the middle because they're told to stand in the middle. 3,000 feet. Call it half a mile. There are 20 people going to walk 3,000 feet. They're going to stand in the middle of the river and the river itself is going to wall up on the uphill side. Now, again, I don't know if you you thought about this, but hydrologically, that's a miracle. If it was going to wall up, you would think it would wall up on the downstream side. But God's going to do something miraculous. Isn't it weird how we can miss the miracles of God because we refuse to see with eyes of faith? We refuse to believe that God can do what he says to do. And when he sends us out, that he's actually capable of getting us through whatever he sends us to do? The whole thing's a miracle. There goes the priest. You can see the water start to pull back. Centuries later, King Jehoshaphat would say, believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper for not one word of the Lord shall fail in his good promise. Still true, church. Why? Because all he's asking us to do is step up and step out. That's it. Step up, step out. Verse 14, and so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people and those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan that the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water where the Jordan overflows its banks during the harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. The city is by Zeratan. It's about two miles upstream. And so the waters that went down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, you know it is the Red Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over to the opposite, to Jericho. And then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people who had crossed completely had crossed over. Your walk of faith, my walk of faith still looks like that tonight. it's still the God of the universe saying, are you willing to step out? Are you willing to step up? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to put your feet in the water? There's no accident here. There's no geophysical event. There's no earthquake recorded. There's nothing that happens except a whole bunch of people trusted God. if you remember when Moses lifted up his rod the wind began to blow and when he lowered his rod the waters flowed back when Israel crosses over the Jordan here it was not the obedient arm of a leader even who brought about the miracle but the obedient feet of the people step up step out it was the obedient feet of the people the people said we're going to go The priests had done their job. They had led as far as they could go. And now it became the feet of the people. And this is a picture of all ministry. Leaders can lead and they can lead well and correctly. But it's always going to boil down to will you step up and step out? I can go stand in the Jordan. Pastor Chet can stand in the Jordan. Pastor Rob can stand. Pastor Pat can and stand in the Jordan. But will you step up and step out? Interesting, we're not told because it didn't happen. But I've often wondered what would have happened had the people not stepped up and stepped out. Would they have gone back into the wilderness? That's my guess, personally. Israel's two crossings in Scripture, one over the Red Sea and the other over the Jordan here. When they crossed over the Red Sea, they were delivered from sin. They were living in bondage in Israel, or excuse me, in Egypt. They were delivered from sin. Now they're being delivered into their inheritance. You will be delivered from sin. The question is will you be delivered into your inheritance? Because that takes obedience. You're saved by grace and through faith, but if you want God's best, you need to give them yours. The book of Hebrews is written to challenge God's people to mature. You and I never get to stand still in our faith. We're constantly being changed and transformed into the image of the true and the living God. And while that's going on, there's always going to be time for us to step up and step out. Let's make that our aim. Let's make that our goal as we start this new year. There's going to be so many opportunities for us to step up and step out. Let's not miss any of them. Amen? Would you stand, and we'll close in prayer. Praise the Lord. prayer after service, we'll have a few of the pastors up front to pray. I want to really strongly encourage you kind of with the whole thing that's going on right now. Please do keep your distance. Let's uh, avoid a little bit of the hugging thing right now because this silly Omicron variant seems to pass a little easier than the others that have gone before so. Don't be put off if somebody you know, just says, I can pray from here to there, God can hear us. Father, thank you that that is true. That were we by ourselves, standing in the middle of nowhere, lifting up our voice to the King of Heaven, that you would hear from Heaven and you would answer our prayers because your voice and your attentiveness is always towards your children. And so, God, we just give you our lives. Lord, help us to step out in faith. God, we confess that at times we hold back, at times we fail to see your promises, your power, your provision, because we won't put our feet in the water. So help us, Lord. Some of us have gotten very used to dry feet, and you might be asking us to get wet tonight. So help us, Lord, to step up, step out, step ahead and accomplish much for your kingdom. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.